Belt attacks. Oh, is that what he calls it? He used to call it a shakedown. This is Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast devoted to the TV we're obsessed with. And right now, that's The Expanse. I'm Jonathan Gitlin, and on this week's show, we've got an interview with linguist Nick Farmer, who was tasked with creating the Belter language. Nick and I discuss the show, the evolution of new languages, his favourite words in Belter, and yes, we even touch on Klingon. Meanwhile, in this week's episode, we get to see the beginnings of a massive humanitarian crisis across the solar system. Ganymede is the breadbasket of the outer planets. Without us, millions will go hungry. This is a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions. With one of Ganymede's orbital mirrors out of commission and heavy damage to some of its domes, the breadbasket of the outer planets is in real trouble. But here's a question for the scientists. Would a fine spray of blood on Ganymede really result in the formation of little red snowflakes in the cold vacuum of space? It certainly looked pretty. On Earth, Aaron Wright is still spoiling for a fight with Mars. But make no mistake, this was an escalation. We need to choose an appropriate Martian target in response. But Avasarala has the upper hand. Rather than a solar system-wide war, she proposes a peace summit. 40 years ago, the Vesta blockade was the closest we ever got to the brink. You know why we barely avoided mutual extinction? Because the man sitting in that chair decided to talk instead of shoot. The crew of the Rosinanti is helping out with the refugees on Tycho Station. But Amos gets a little rattled when he realises the rest of the crew have something that he can't find, a sense of empathy. He goes to find Cortazar, the protogen scientist, who gives him a bit of a psychopathic pep talk. You want to be that real boy again, to feel how you felt before the world broke you, the safety of your mother's embrace. But you cauterized all that in order to survive. You don't want that back again. Bobby Draper is all that's left of her team and the only remaining eyewitness to the battle on Ganymede. With the aid of memory-enhancing drugs, she's able to reconstruct the chain of events, but the Martian brass don't seem very interested in hearing about the seventh man she saw before passing out. You'll tell them your story. Uh, tensions were high. Uh, in the confusion of a communications blackout, your team fired first. Sir, did you say we shot first? Well, given the lack of intel, it's a supportable conclusion. They fired first. Meanwhile, it's becoming clear that the OPA is far from a united front. Fred Johnson wants peace, but Anderson Dawes isn't having any of it, unable to let go of his deep-seated mistrust of the inner planets. Belters will never unify under Fred Johnson's flag. True satire. Earth will never forgive him for the past. And after the Nauvoo, his days on Tycho are numbered. Dawes rather effectively exploits the fact that Johnson and Holden were both born on Earth to discredit them in the eyes of the other Belters. We certainly aren't complaining about Dawes getting plenty of screen time this week. Jared Harris, who plays the character, continues to delight us with his heavy belter accent and political machinations. And then you fought alongside Josephus Miller, huh? Yeah, yeah. Piranhas. Miller dance ere de Shukumi. Shukumi. And that makes this week's guest a rather fitting one. Let's hear from Nick Farmer. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. I know that previously you'd done an Ars Live event with Annalie and Sarus in the Bay Area. Yeah, no, actually, technically, it was the first Ars Live event. It was. Now everyone who's not a local to the Bay Area will get to hear about some of the, the fun you've had coming up with devising a new language. Is a Creole a, a language, or is it something on the road so, to becoming a language that's not quite there yet? So Creole languages are full languages. Okay. They are just as complicated and capable of expression as any other language. And there's a lot of you know debate about you know, how Creole languages come about. The theory that I happen to subscribe to is that it's more a 
process, like creolization is something that happens when you have extended contact between languages, which causes a language to change drastically in sort of regular ways, such that you get languages from a lot of different places that end up having a lot of really common features. So you can have, you know, Hawaiian-based creoles or Chinese-based creoles or English or French-based creoles that all end up having similar grammatical features because if you keep making the same kinds of changes over and over again, no matter where you start, you end up in the same place. Right. In this case, specifically, we're talking about a language that's evolved in space over a couple of hundred years, correct? Yes. Okay, so um, I'd be curious to know a bit more about really how you got involved with the show and then went about coming up with Belter. Now, uh, you speak 14 languages, is that correct? Uh, well, I'm not actually sure okay. how many I speak. I, I have a, on my website, I try and keep track of it all. But the thing is, I learn some and I forget some, but I do know a lot. So enough that you've forgotten how many you speak. That's an incredibly impressive feat. What was the first one? The first one that wasn't, you know, I mean, I grew up speaking French right. and English, okay. but the first one other than that, which I really took seriously was Hindi because I was studying abroad in India and then I was like really a matter of kind of figuring out how to do it and then once I figured out how to do it I got a little addicted and you know I kept learning new ones and there was always something interesting and I mean also just I found it easier to study a language from a linguist's perspective if I kind of had a more intuitive understanding of it by learning, you know, things about it, like learning really to speak it. Right. But to answer your earlier question about uh, how I got involved, uh, I mean, it, there was a lot of serendipity. I mean, I ran into George R. R. Martin, the author of Game of Thrones, uh, in a bar and just struck up a conversation, invited him to give a talk, which he gave. He brought his then assistant, Ty Frank, who is half of James S.A. Corey, the authors of the Expanse books, which the show is based off of. And then when Ty learned I was a linguist, after he got, you know, after the rights to the books were optioned, he said, hey, do you want to make up a language for us? And I'd never done it before, but I mean, knew enough about linguistics that I felt pretty confident that I could do it. So I said, sure. Am I right in thinking that Belter in the books can be different to the Belter in the show? Yes, they are two different things. And actually what Daniel Abraham, the, the other half of James S.A. Corey, said to me was, look, you know, we know a lot about many things, but one thing we don't know a lot about is languages and linguistics. So we just kind of cobbled together stuff to give an impression of what this language might be like. But that's fine on text. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to actually hear it being spoken by people, you know, they, they wanted something that would really well sound good, sound plausible, not just like babble. So that's where they got me. And I, I took their idea in terms of like, you know, the history of the language and, you know, what they kind of aesthetically were going after. Mm -hmm. And then I applied that to essentially starting from scratch with, you know, the grammar and the vocabulary. And there, there are a couple words that became popular, like Sasa to know, which I incorporated into, you know, TV belter. Mm -hmm. But it has remained a point of confusion for people. And I think the conscious decision not to subtitle any of it on the show, I think has been, maybe helps that. I've noticed, in fact, recently there's a new subreddit where people are trying to teach themselves belter. I don't, don't know if you're aware of that one. Yeah, I, I have heard of it. And, you know, I mean, people ask me questions and I, you know, I try to give as many answers as I, as I can without just committing myself to 
you know, nonstop being somebody, you know, an online belter tutor. Right. I personally would have liked to have had subtitles because it would have allowed for there to have been a lot more of the language. I understand why they didn't do subtitles, but it made it challenging because they had to then pick points where the belter that was going to be included wasn't necessarily something that had to be understood by the audience. So in the most recent episode, 206, there's a point where in a bar, an angry, you know, boyfriend barges in and sees, I don't know if it's, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, but, you know, sees his object of desire flirting with Alex. And then he bursts out an angry belter. Need to two team shifts. Even the Gotek for Dan recycle. Gotek for the cockatoo. Impilesh too. Me not do Oh, hey, hey, hey. And then she responds in angry belter. And you really don't have to understand any of the particular words to figure out that, okay, you know, it's a domestic dispute. I mean, they're, they're mad at each other. And, you know, other things like announcements in the background and all those other things which you can just sort of get in there without you know messing up the flow of like really important dialogue so can you tell us a little bit about the different languages then that that have fed into belter and maybe because it's a language that's evolved in space are there certain considerations do you think that you presumably there are words and and kinds of words that you know you've had to focus on are specific to belter Yeah. So with any language, you know, the culture of the people who speak that language is going to have an enormous effect on on that language. So, I mean, because uh, belters are all in space, the things that they're going to be talking about are going to be space things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they have like just a more specialized vocabulary for dealing with that. So, for example, their word for gravity, essentially, you know, yatarash just translates as being under thrust. And then no gravity is just naterash, so not under thrust, because that's really, for all intents and purposes, the only gravity that they ever experience is artificial gravity from thrust or, you know, from things rotating. But, um, you know, on, on the other side, this word koyo, which people are like, oh, so does that mean like dog? Yes. Does it mean cat? Yes. I mean, it means dog, cat, you know, weasel, like any sort of small animal that small mammal, I suppose. But none of these things are you know, common in space. And so they don't really differentiate particularly between the different species. Right. Small four-legged creature. That some, exactly. That, that someone rich brought into space. Right. Right. And, you know, is, is sucking up the resources that are already extremely limited. When I spoke to Dan and Ty for the first of, of these podcasts, actually, that was a question I asked him was, you know, do people ever bring their cats into space? I think if you're Jules Pierre Mao, it's probably okay, but the rest of us, maybe not. Right. And this is something which I specifically asked Ty, like, okay, am I allowed, because if I'm making decisions about the etymology, mm-hmm. you know, the, the origin of certain words, that has implications for sort of the, the history of the world. And, you know, I try and stay away from things that like might step on toes, but ultimately, you know, yes, when I make a decision like, okay, you know, there's just this one word, you know, it re- that means that all of a sudden, yes, like there are not too many of these particular animals in space. And like another one that I did was, so the word for like to sing is do a And the idea being that, okay, so what, this is 200 years in the future. So 23rd century that, okay, you have in the 22nd century, like early 22nd century, there was a retro craze for Adele such that like <laughs> people in the belt, she was, you know, the singer, like that was who people associate with singing. Mm-hmm. And then it died out. 
but like this word kind of stuck in the language so that by the 23rd century, people don't even realize that like Adewu has to do with Adele. It's just singing. And so I asked Ty like, okay, is this canonical? He said, for the show, it's canonical. You can make those kinds of decisions. So when it comes to teaching the actors how to speak everything, is, is that something that you do or have you been working with other people to kind of, because I mean, it's one of the things I have loved about the show have been the mix of different accents and the way that different people speak. I'm thinking of particularly like Jared Harris and Cara G's delivery of Belter just blows yeah. me away every time I see it on screen. We've come a long way since the loading docks on series. Hey, Molly. You don't get to call me that anymore, Pampa. So there is a dialect coach who is on set. I mean, I live in California, but, you know, filming happens in Toronto. Okay, uh, that would make it a bit challenging to be on set all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, because... I'm, I don't want to make any political you know, comments about free trade or protectionism, but there's definitely a lot of protectionism of the film industry in Canada. So it's, it's very difficult to get a non-Canadian over there. It's, it's difficult and expensive. And so they just right. decided, let's just have a dialect coach. So it's been a kind of interesting thing because it's like having a dialect coach who doesn't speak any Russian teaching actors like a Russian accent. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he's, you know, also well-trained. And so I could kind of give him what I had in mind, you know, with all the like international phonetic alphabet spellings and, you know, lots of recordings. And then he could take that and teach it to the actors. But even then, I mean, so you have like recurring characters who are given, you know, more coaching, mm-hmm. but so like Jared Harris and Kara G. And then you have the day actors whose job is a bit more challenging because they have to pick something up as quickly as they can. And so they're the ones who actually, like when they nail it, I'm happy because they have a a pretty tough job. I do on the side work with a couple of the actors just sort of on our media, like social media promotion of the language. So Andrew Rotilio, who plays Diogo. How long were you out there before those rock hoppers picked you up? Uh, long time. Me paints, uh, days. He and I, you know, sort of regularly put out stuff, him recording things in Belter. And so, you know, I've worked with the most with him. And then, you know, for the previous season, there was Sarah Midditch. And I mean, I've even, you know, done some stuff with Dominique Tipper, who plays Naomi, so. Mogufa told to check the suki deva. That's my interaction with the actors is all like sort of more on the social media end. Is this the first language that you've written for TV or, or a book? I mean, you know, for that, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is the first one I've done. I mean, since then, for some of my own projects, I've done some others, but uh, it's also by far the most complete. It's something that I kind of was always, I mean, even if I wasn't part of the, the community of people who do this, I mean, and there is a, a pretty large community, it's kind of like being an art critic or a music critic and you're like you're listening to things or you're looking at things for years and years and years and you're studying it very carefully and then you're finally like given the opportunity to create something yourself which was really exciting for me because it's great to study all these languages that currently exist but you know to have that creative control and you know, test things out and, you know, be like, what if, you know, what if you had a language that was like this? So what is the mix of languages that's gone into Belter? There are substrate and superstrate languages, correct? Right. Some contribute more words and some fewer. 
Right. So, you know, the super straight language, I mean, the language of origin is English. It's an English-based Creole. And so the majority of words are English words, which actually is an advantage when you don't have subtitles because, you know, a lot of the times there's actually more belter in there than people realize. It's just they can understand it because it's close enough to English. And then after that, you know, that you have a couple languages which have a lot of influence in terms of, you know, just like the number of words that are in there. So Romance languages, Germanic languages, and Chinese and Slavic languages are like the big ones, just because, you know, those are the ones that, you know, have the most speakers who are making it out into outer space. Mm -hmm. But, you know, every so often, like, there are a couple words that I can, you know, get in there from other sources. So one that actually shows up very early on is Imbobo, which is a Zulu word. Mm -hmm. It means, it means whole. But in Belter, it now means like, you know, apartment or living space. And actually, there was a guy who speaks Zulu who picked that out. So it made me happy that, you know, somebody, okay, what I'm, what I'm trying to get out there is, is coming through. Am I correct in thinking that you provide variations of translations on the scripts that they can use depending on, you know, how well, I guess, the actors speak it? So in the beginning, it was a ton of work because, yeah, we were trying to figure out, like, nobody was entirely sure how much was going to be on the show, how much would work, how much the actors were capable of. So I would, at that point, give them many, many options, between three and five options, you know, ranging from pure, fully translated with two English with like a couple words here and there. And as it's become sort of more clear, like, okay, you know, here are the points where we want to have more, here are the points where we want to have less, like as they know what they want. Mm -hmm it makes it easier for me to provide them with just one or maybe two options. So that whole process has become a lot more streamlined. So something I've been curious about, if anyone would know this would be you, is thinking out to, you know, 200 years from now when we've colonized the stars, or the solar system, rather. W would you expect over time that you'd get branches from Belter that, you know, people on series maybe wouldn't necessarily understand someone from, you know, Ganymede? Would languages evolve in that way? Or do you think, is the society well connected enough that maybe you don't get those sort of dialects forming? Uh, the way I would answer that is, you know, you have the consideration of, you know, yes, how well connected are they? Like, how often do they communicate? But then also, sort of as a society, how connected do they feel? I mean, what it seems like on the show, you know, is that, you know, they're actually very closely, they feel closely connected so that when something bad happens on Eros people in series are pissed about it. Right. And so that's the kind of thing which really makes a big difference in terms of how closely related the languages are going to be. Because if people use that language as a mark of identity, mm -hmm. as in like, I'm a belter and I speak this way, uh, that encourages people to stick to something that like they're all going to, you know, be able to use. And okay, yes, you know, I mean, because of the limits of you know, speed of light, communication is a little delayed. You, that's why you send video messages instead of just having a, you know, a phone call. Mm -hmm. But regardless, they're still able to send those and they send them to each other all the time and they're traveling around all the time. So, you know, they're pretty connected that way and the other way. I suppose that the politics aspect of it, I think, that you bring up, actually, now that I think of that, given some of the themes in the show, I can see how that's quite important. You know, as, yeah. as it, I suppose maybe particularly on this show, the limitations of not being able to have CGI belters that are all eight feet tall with skinny necks. Yeah. And these people are for the most part, bi or trilingual. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot, you know, it's something that like we 
in America and the UK. I mean, okay, you guys are maybe actually you know you're not that much better. No, 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 in my experience, not really. So you know, it's something that we we often kind of forget about. But you go to places where I mean, especially places where Creoles are spoken. <laughs> These people they will speak often the Creole, and then they'll speak the language that you know it coming from and then you know maybe they'll speak a third language too like english and it's the same situation in in the belt where these people you know well as you can see on the show they speak english they speak belter and then you know be, they still probably have like their family language you know which they from where they wherever they came from so you could have someone speaking chinese english and belter and so if you have a station where a lot of people are chinese you're still going to have you know chinese spoken and so that could be you know their language which would be you know specific to their station but Belter would be the, you know, the trade language, like the unifying like belt language. Do you think we'll start to see any words from Belter cross over into the mainstream nerd vocabulary? I'm just I'm thinking back to for to Battlestar Galactica, really, and the way that you know people started adopting words like frack as uh, as an insult, which they had to use to get around sci-fi's old obscenity stuff. I mean, I would love it if it did, be, not only for what that means about Belter, but also for what it means about the show, because that means the show becomes extremely successful. Am I right in uh, thinking that bartenders have given you free drinks in exchange for new Belter vocabulary? That That is correct. There are definitely some fans who are very much into it, who have very much incorporated it into their lives. You know, how much it spreads depends on, yeah, I mean, the show's popularity. If the show were to become like Star Trek, I honestly think that Belter has a much better chance than Klingon does of, of really catching on simply because it's a lot more accessible. I mean, so, okay, so, so you've gone there. I've been holding off bringing up Klingon. The differences between the two, I think, would be I, I'd be interested in your perspective. So Klingon is a really interesting case because, you know, it was also made by a linguist who knew what he was doing. But the goal was very, very different. <laughs> you know, for Belter, it's supposed to be you know, okay, in, in our world, what could English turn into given like these set of circumstances? For Klingon, it is, okay, we need a language that sounds like a language to humans, but also sounds like as alien as possible. And so what he did was like anytime you had sort of like a tendency in language, like, okay, given X, you know, most of the time you have Y, he was like, no, no, I'm going to go with Z. I'm going to go with that other option. So he like, for example, the word order, he took like the least common word order in the world's languages. And anytime, you know, with like sounds, there's some sounds that just, you know, very easily go together, like M and P, you know, so like Ampa or something like that. Anybody, almost anybody in the world can easily pronounce that. And so that kind of thing is going to show up in a Creole, mm -hmm. most likely. Whereas he was like, I'm going to go with things that like you never see together. So like pa and pa and have them like right next to each other. And then also have like two other consonants in that cluster too. You know, the result is the sort of least plausible plausible language ever <laughs> which we can't say the same about belter it's not really meant to be an exact prediction but it is i mean given these circumstances it's a very reasonable sure. sort of prediction the challenge of, of coming up with it do you have to get into a similar sort of mindset as you know the people who wrote esperanto or is that something totally different i mean you know esperanto was the sort of original goal of it was to have a neutral universal language which, which they speak in all the harry harrison stainless steel rat books which i always enjoyed the fact that, that everyone in there speaks esperanto apparently yeah i sort of don't entirely agree with their assumption which is that if people can talk to each other they won't fight each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see plenty of cases of people who are perfectly capable of communicating with each other, but who still 
kill each other on mass. I mean, yes, the history of civil wars, I think. Yeah, or I mean, like India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Like it's funny because they try as hard as they can to. You have two languages, like Hindi and Urdu, except actually they're the same language that just has two different writing systems and slightly different, you know, vocabulary. But for the most part, they're entirely mutually intelligible, and yet India and Pakistan are like mortal enemies. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I mean, I don't think that we went into it also in in, in the same idea because their goal was to make something that would be sort of super regular, like unnaturally regular, Mm -hmm. so that it would be, quote unquote, easier to learn. And whereas I was going into it with an idea of, okay, I want to make it seem as natural as possible, which means there are going to be all the sort of, you know, weirdness that you would normally find. What's interesting, what's happened with Esperanto is that, you know, they tried so hard to have, you know, keep out all irregularity, but the few people who actually have grown up speaking it natively have introduced that irregularity into their own speech because it's just inevitable. I mean, that's the way humans are. It's the way language works. I suppose we're unlikely for the show to go on long enough to see an evolution in the language belt, or or might we? I don't know. I mean, if... Would it need to jump a generation into the future for that to... You can get small changes within a generation, you know, like like from one person's speech, like as they age. But, you know, I mean, to really see something that would be noticeable to like an audience i mean that would take a couple generations and like you know i mean it wouldn't be very hard to sort of take it even further because once you've got that going down that path you just kind of keep extrapolating and what was interesting i mean i didn't have to worry about this too much but what uh tolkien i mean like the original language inventor what he would do to make his languages as authentic as possible, is he would first create their ancestor language, mm-hmm. and then he would apply changes to that to get, you know, the Elvish that we know and love today. And I mean, you know, I just had to start from English, so I had a much easier job. <laughs> you only had to invent one language rather than two or three as it goes through the progression. Do you have a favorite Belter word? Let's see. Yes, there's one that I, I find kind of amusing. So for season one, they were still very concerned about swearing. And there was a big debate about, OK, well, we need to have words that are obviously like swear words, but we don't want to get censored. And so that also means we can't just use words from other languages, because if we, you know. That's what Firefly used to do, right? That's they what Firefly would, used to do. They would switch to Chinese for all of the swearing. Right. And the, the funny thing is, is that, they, you know, they probably wouldn't have even been censored anyway, because nobody who even spoke Chinese actually understood what they were saying anyway because their accent was so bad. <laughs> but yeah, they did. So they didn't want to do that. So I had to come up with a couple things. And, you know, I mean, when you're thinking of swear words, you got to kind of just think about, okay, well, what do people invoke when they're swearing? And it's usually sex, blasphemy, or, you know, bodily processes. And, you know, I mean, there's been like not that much discussion about, you know, any belter religion. I mean, you have earth religions that sort of are out there, but nothing that is like identifiably belter. So blasphemy wasn't a great option, uh, but sex and feces were still on the table. So my personal favorite was when I was you know, going through a script and, you know, they would just be like, okay, anything that you think just doesn't fit, you know, if you want to suggest stuff. And I'm, I'm reading through a script and I see somebody saying, oh, that's bullshit. And I'm like, huh, bullshit. I mean, these are people who, you know, they don't even know the difference between a cat and a dog. Like, well, they're not going to know about bulls. Why would they still be talking about bulls? Right, right. The closest they get to, to a steak is, is grown in a lab. Exactly. So, okay, well, what would be a really bad situation to have if, you know, you're talking about shit in a belter universe? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, that, you know, what if your space toilet 
started malfunctioning and all of a sudden you have your shit just floating around in your you know, spaceship with you, that would be terrible. And actually, it would be pretty bad. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, I forget exactly which Apollo mission, but there was one which like you know, there were severe malfunctions because urine escaped and got into the equipment. So no, there's a lot of science in, in space toilets and it's, it's fascinating. But anyway, it came out as caca basically like floating shit. And I, I was pleased with that one. Awesome. You know, I think that might make an excellent place to finish this interview on. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to hearing more of your language as the weeks go by. Thank you. You've been listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about all the television that we're obsessing about. So be here next week and we'll talk some more. <laughs>